Let's turn in the Scriptures to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. We'll be reading verses 1 through 6. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. And we'll read verses 1 through 6 before we read God's Word and hear the Word preached. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help upon all of us. Let's pray. Our Father, once again we come to Your Word. We are so very thankful that You have not removed Your Word from us, which You could do. You did that to the uh, Your people, Your covenant people of old in Amos for their rebellion against You. And so, Father, we're thankful that You have not done that to us, though we have sinned against You many and in various ways even this very morning. Uh, Father, we ask now that You would continue to shower Your grace upon us, pour out Your Spirit, grant us ears to hear and eyes to see Your Son, Jesus Christ. And, And Father, we pray that You would be with Your minister who preaches Your Word. We pray that You would humble him. And that we all would not hear Him, but we would hear Jesus, Your Son. For we desire Him, and to commune with Him, and to hear Him teach us as disciples, His disciples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, and verse 1. These are God's words. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite! First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Those are God's words. It's a very difficult thing for many Christians, for many new believers as well, to grasp that our God is both a loving Father and the judge of the living and the dead. That He is both good and righteous. It is difficult for them then to hear the Scriptures that declare that God is love and also as we prayed from Isaiah 6 that God is holy, holy, holy. To an unbeliever, it is a most terrible thing to hear that Jehovah is both Father and Judge. Rejecting completely God's judgment upon their lives as well as rejecting the privilege, the privilege of having the Lord as their Father. And friends, by rejecting God's fatherly love and grace, the unbeliever will encounter Jehovah as Judge. 
And yet for those who receive the Lord by His grace in Christ alone, knowing that the Lord is both Father and Judge, ought to fill us with awe, reverence, uh, wonder that such a God who is the eternal Judge is also our Heavenly Father. Is the Lord the Judge of all? Will He damn sinners to hell for their sins? Consider the Scriptures. Psalm 75. But God is the Judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. Psalm 96. Before the Lord, for He cometh. For He cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with His truth. Psalm 110. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. And that's just the Psalter. We can think of Hebrews 10 as well. For we know Him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. John 3. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Condemned, meaning judged by the great judge. First Peter 4, Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Romans 3. But if our unrighteousness can commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto His glory, yet uh, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. Friends, the Lord is judge. He is most certainly a father to the righteous, to those who are in Christ Jesus. We read last Lord's Day, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. From Ephesians 1. And the amazing thing is that while we be our, in our finiteness and frailty, that we can only focus on God as our Father, and at other times, uh, separate times, God as judge. It's very difficult and yet necessary, but yet uh, very difficult to not separate who God is. Because we're so finite and frail. And so we like to uh, parse out, we like to separate, here's God as judge. And here's God as Father, and here's God as love, and here's God who's all-powerful, and here's God who's all-present. And we could go on and on, right, with all His attributes of who He is. And yet it's necessary that uh, we know that He is perfectly and infinitely Father and Judge and love and all-powerful all at the same time. Right? And He's never separate. He never separates those things. He's never sometimes Father, sometimes Judge. But He's always and forever both. And of course, all the more attributes, always and forever. But it is an understanding that God is judged that should bring self-control and restraint to our lives. 
the Lord as judge and Father should grant us motivation by His grace to pursue holiness in our hearts and lives zealously. And that's where Jesus is coming and He's teaching His disciples here how to live holy lives to the Father. It's the same if we think of it civilly. Think of the law of Kansas or Missouri. Uh, we have, uh, if you've grown in these states, you've grown in your understanding of the, the laws of the state more and more. And sometimes you get revealed, oh, that's a law. I didn't know that. Now you know. And you, you grow in that to understand and you respect in many ways. You respect the power of the civil authorities because God's granted them certain powers, right? As judges even, and how they bear the sword. And so we're constantly restrained, aren't we? We're restrained from breaking the law. Knowing that if we break the law, we'll be punished in some way by fines uh, or by jail or whatever it might be. We are restrained. And so if, as it is, if we really took to heart that the Lord is not only judge of the body, like the civil magistrate, they are judges over the body, uh, that the Lord is not only judge of the body, but the body and soul for eternity and not just while we're on the earth living. And so consider, friends, what we are looking at this morning, that knowing the Lord Jehovah is judge teaches us to be what? It teaches us not only to restrain ourselves from our sins, it teaches us to be merciful, to love one another. For as we consider the Lord as judge, we need to be moved to examine our own hearts, to look within, to see uh, how we have broken the commandments of the judge and lawgiver uh, of all laws, uh, our Father, how we have disobeyed our Father. And if we've so sinned so heinously against our God with such perversities and evil, then we ought to be moved to show compassion on others and their sins and weaknesses. And we go back to the last chapter, chapter 6 as well, that we've already gone through. Uh, and it says, you remember, but if we, if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And that's kind of in our minds as we come to this text. We've spoken about our God for a bit now in uh, the sermon. Because the first part of chapter 7, as we study it this morning, is one of the most abused and misapplied passages of Scripture by not only the enemies of Christ Jesus and all of Christianity, the church, but in the last century it has become one of the most abused and misapplied passages of Scripture by even those in the church. And in both cases of unbelievers and those in the church... They take the words of Jesus Christ here in verse 1 and move the words so far from their meaning and their intended meaning as to bring not righteousness and medicine to souls and for souls, but poison to the hurts of many, including themselves. You see verse 1, it says, Judge not that ye be not judged. When the Lord Jesus says, Judge not... He's saying something. He does not mean that it's wrong under any and all circumstances to judge unfavorably the conduct and uh, an opinion of others. In other words, whether a Christian or even a pastor preaching, you make a comment on a situation and you 
condemns some form of evil as defined by God's Word and His commandments, and someone will reply back how? Judge not! Judge not! Don't judge! God says, Matthew 7, verse 1, judge not! Right? That's how they respond. Now first we think of how they do respond, and they're implying in that don't ever say something is wrong. It is not up to you, Christian, to judge. Now first, to critique the modern thoughts like that, we can think how ironic that is. Because by their own false interpretation of judge not, by their false interpretation of judge not, they have broken what they've just condemned themselves, right? They are saying judge not, and they're the ones judging in the way they're saying judge not. Condemning you for condemning something else as evil. And probably something they're doing as evil. Because God says it. Second, more importantly, because the ironic thing is is just uh, contradictory of what they're doing. Second, more importantly, consider the logical conclusion of their attitude and their judgment. They're basically saying you must treat good and evil alike and regard moral distinctions. That is, you need to regard God's commandments as matters of indifference. Right? Even Jesus Himself wouldn't be able to teach this, would He? In this sermon, the whole Sermon on the Mount from chapter five, chapters 5 through 7, He wouldn't be able to teach any of this if that interpretation of this verse was true. When they say this false interpretation, when they say judge not. Because you can just look over in our passage, verse 6. You see, in verse 6, you'll find that Jesus is calling His people, His disciples, to make judgments. It says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. And in that verse, there are some dogs, some swine, and a certain kind of judgment is required to recognize who those are and act accordingly. And so what does Jesus actually mean here? Undoubtedly, the Lord elsewhere calls us to judge. 1 Thessalonians 5, He says, prove all things. Well, to prove all things, we need to judge. We need to use discernment, right? 1 John 4, it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And so, friends, as God's children, we are to have very decided opinions based upon God's Word alone. We are to have very decided opinions as we are to prove all things and try the spirits. Where the Lord has made us knowledgeable of His Word, we are absolutely to have humbly, we are to have humbly decided and clear thoughts and lives lived according to His Word. We also know it is not sinful or wrong to rebuke someone who is in sin. Certainly the Lord Jesus is uh, directing us uh, towards how to interact with someone who is in a fault here, who are in sin 
And we've just read that also in a recent passage in the Unis, Galatians 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, that is to love. And so judging, the way Jesus is talking about here, is actually teaching us how to love. How to love according to God's Word. Right? We are to bear a burden. Sins are burdens. And when they are in a fault, when we see our brothers and sisters in Christ in a fault, in a sin, we restore them in a spirit of meekness and humility. And so certainly we are to rebuke sinners. We are to rebuke sinners gently, humbly, but if we went with the modern Christian use of verse 1, which is false, then it would make it impossible to condemn error and false doctrine. It would keep Christians from being a civil judge. It would keep men from being pastors and preachers. And so the modern understanding of this verse is false. Now the first point this morning, the first point this morning is do not judge harshly. Do not judge harshly. The context is king. And the context teaches us what Jesus means. It says again, verse 1, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Consider how you judge your brothers and sisters in Christ. Even unbelievers. How you judge, you will be judged. The Lord will judge all peoples. Would you like the Lord to be merciful when He judges you? Jesus is saying here, don't be so harsh when you're judging. Show mercy while also confronting with the truth what God requires. In other words, be gentle, kind when you're judging. Consider James 4. It says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? So when we judge, it ought not to be to one's hurt. When we come before someone, we see in a sin, it is not, we don't come to them and judge them, rebuke them, reprove them, or correct them because we want them to be hurt, right? We come to them because we love them. And we want them to turn from that sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so friends and and perhaps ladies, especially as the Lord commands a few times and points out, the ladies especially struggle with these sins. But men certainly do as well. Gossip and slander is judging to one's hurt. right? Even if it's based upon the truth, gossip, There's talking about the fault or the sin behind the back of another, behind it so they don't know in secret, to their hurt. It's only hurting their good name or it's hurting uh, 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 each person's feelings towards that person, right? That you're talking about. 
judge not in such a way as to hurt someone. For you do not want judgment of the Lord to come upon you for your to your hurt. Right? And if as a follower of Jesus Christ, the Lord has shown mercy to you, as a Christian, you've been shown mercy even though you're a sinner and you have many faults and you continue in your faults and yet the Lord is continuously showing mercy to you. Then be merciful in understanding of one struggle and sin and seek their healing and their repentance, not their destruction. Oftentimes we see sins, sometimes very heinous sins, and we become so quick to bring them down to destruction, even though they're our brother or sister in Christ. And Jesus is saying that's not the way. Unless you want to be judged that way as well. What if some false information came about you? Or maybe true. Would you want those other people to hear about that and then come and seek to destroy you because of some heinous sin you've committed? No, you do not want that. You would want them to come and approach you gently and seek to turn you from your wicked way to Christ again. And so our judging cannot be rash or quickly done. Anyone who is judging, we want to take the time to consider all the evidence, right? And you see the sins and, and faults of others. We hear about it. See, uh, you see such wickedness sometimes on the news, right? There's been a murder or some uh, thing that's happened. And yet, what you see on the news, if you watch the news, I don't recommend you watch the news, but if you did watch the news and you saw whatever they were covering uh, has happened, uh, See such wickedness on the news that you should, you need to realize you only see part of what happened. Maybe you saw part of what happened. It's never as clear cut as what the news shows you because every news situation, news station spins it in their way that they want you to hear. They want you to hear a certain truth and they eliminate certain truths. They don't bring those about for you to hear. And so, Often, though, we see something on the news, we see something on Facebook, we see something uh, publicized, and we judge immediately without all the facts. And we cannot do that as well. We need to know all the facts presented before we can judge a matter. What if you, uh, a mob of people, were judging you about all uh, about some of your sins, and yet they didn't have all the facts. Would you want them to come and finally judge you based upon not all the facts, a partial amount of the facts? No, you wouldn't. You want you would want them to have all the facts. And uh, so now we can't do the same to another soul. We cannot judge a person's soul, uh, even the state of their soul by a single act or sin. David was a murderer and an adulterer. King David. Murderer and an adulterer and yet a man after God's own heart. That does not excuse his grievous sins. But we don't judge his soul based upon two monstrous, heinous, wicked sins. We can't judge the intention of someone either. We can judge their actions we can see from their actions, their intentions sometimes, their sins according to God's commandments and stating uh, those are sins. 
And God hates sin and rebellion against Him. And yet today He freely offers all of you, His Son Jesus Christ, to save you from those sins, doesn't He? By His death and His resurrection. We must seek then to restore the soul. Restore the soul by the Word of God in humility. In other words, friends, we are not to have such a severely critical spirit towards others, towards their sin, and every looking for every single, like you're on a fault-finding mission or you're a private investigator trying to find the sins of every single person. A severely critical spirit. Jesus is rebuking that here. Do you have a readiness to blame others? For little offenses or matters of indifference. Like spouses, do you have that? A readiness to blame your spouse for little offenses or matters of indifference? Do you have friends? A habit of hasty judgment against others? Do you take faults and sins of your brothers and sisters, your family members... And do you magnify those errors and those faults in your minds and in your hearts to others and to make the worst of them? The Lord calls us to make the best of them. And so this is what the Lord forbids. Or rather, we are to love. 1 Corinthians 13, Love, charity, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. You want to see this charity, this mercy in regards to sin. You look at Romans 14 as a great example. Paul's addressing the church there where the Jews are struggling with the ceremonial law after Christ had abolished it by His final sacrifice. And he says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Do not judge harshly so that you cause your brother or sister to fall. You want to restore them, right? And so how do we go about that? It is not harshly, but with gentleness and love for them. Do not judge harshly. Here's one who judged harshly against the Lord's commandments in Judges 1. Adonai Bezek. But Adonai Bezek fled and they pursued after him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Three score and ten kings, have, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table as I have done. So hath God requited me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. How he judged, right, those three score and ten kings. So he was judged. Second point this morning, do not judge uh, hypocritically. Do not judge hypocritically. Verse 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote of thine eye, out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? 
Thou hypocrite! First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Jesus' illustration, his word picture, puts it very vividly, right? You can't get away from that picture in your mind that you can make. You can't actually uh, really make it a reality because uh, of what it says, having a log in your own eye. You can think of a branch, but here he's saying like a beam, a log, a large log. There's a great log. Children! Levi's sitting down. <laughs> Levi, you sit up. All right. Think of this picture Jesus has of this big log branch in your own eye. And you're judging someone who has just a speck of dust in their own eye. Does that make any sense to do that? To be concerned about this, the person who has a little speck of dirt, a little, little speck of a splinter in their eye, when you have this giant log in your own eye. Does that make any sense? No, that doesn't make any sense. Right? The great log in your own eye and trying to get the splinter out of somebody else's eye. That's foolishness. That's being hypocritical, right? That's being a hypocrite. You have a much greater problem you need to attend to, don't you? If you have a great log in your eye, that's a big problem that you need to take care of first before you can go after the little wood fiber, uh, the splinter in someone else's eye. That's ridiculous, isn't it? To try to think about getting a splinter out of somebody else's eye when you have that great log in your own eye. Of course it is. Well, what's wrong with such a man and woman like that? They're looking for sins in other people and they're jump on, they might jump on someone, like attack them, whenever they see a person who's in any sin. And if this is you, then you would be so absorbed in this campaign to set people free from their irritated eye when you are completely blinded. Blinded at the fact that you have your own sin in your own life that is far greater than anything you see in the lives of others. But even more egregious of your life when you do this, friends, you act like the hypocrite and live like one. Even more egregious in your pursuit of other people's sins, you regard your seeing them and pursuing them to take the speck or the, the wood fiber out of their eye. You're pursuing them out. You think, this is proof of my good standing with the Lord. And there's many people in the church today like this. And that's why Jesus tells us this. And you might not think this is you, but this is you. It's each one of us at various times and in various ways. When you're searching and you're searching out other people for their sins, there's this uncharitable, unmerciful, and harsh spirit and sin in your own eye. Now friends, we ought not to be looking and trying to find other people's sins. It shouldn't be anything that we're doing like that. We should not be uh, looking at each person. Where's their sin? I can't see it. Oh, now I can see it if I look hard enough. We shouldn't be doing that. And Jesus is warning against that, condemning that. We are not investigators to bring someone down for their daily sins that we all struggle with. 
Right? As we all sin, we all struggle with various sins. Your struggle with such sins and focus on the such uh, sins of others is so great that you can become blind to your own sins. Right? You can become blind to your own sins. Sensitive to the sins of others, desensitized to the sin of your own heart. That's what Jesus is condemning here in our judging and our rebuking or trying to uh, restore someone. That Jesus says uh, this is a lethal combination. To be sensitive to the sin of others, desensitized or unsensitized to our own sin. It's hypocrisy. And we see this confronted with sin. When confronted with sin, we want to act on the defensive. Sometimes when a brother or sister comes to you and they they gently come to you and they're pointing out your sin, you go on the defensive, right? And make excuses based upon others, not yourself. We blame others like Adam and Eve blamed each other in the garden. Or or as uh, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed uh, Satan. It's not my fault for sinning, it's theirs. What they did led to my sin. Instead of receiving the challenge, the rebuke, and praying, considering their judgment that's come to you, then responding in holiness. We attack and we try to rather take focus off of ourselves. And so when uh, we through this seek to hide from others and from ourselves the real nature of our own sin and our own guilt, instead of our hearts being softened by examining our hearts, And turning from our sin by turning to the Lord in faith and repentance, turning to Christ, we actually become hardened in our hearts. And that's hypocrisy. Now you might question, if we all are in sin and Christians continue in sin, how can we ever judge someone else? How can we ever take God's Word to someone else who is in sin and confront them with what the Lord Jesus, uh, with the Lord Jesus who is King? And His Word. And we've learned in other times and places in Scripture that we are to love righteousness and hate evil and hate sin. We have heard again today that we are to seek to restore those who are in any fault. From Galatians 6, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. In seeking to restore another, consider yourself. Consider yourself, lest you too be tempted. And even worse, lest you already be in sin. Consider David again. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And arranged the death of her husband so that he could have her as his wife. David couldn't see his grievous sin. The Lord sent the prophet Nathan to reveal to David... His wickedness through a parable. So he didn't give any names when he spoke the parable to David. And so at first, David didn't realize that the parable was about him. Because he was hardened in his heart. And when the parable was spoken, David burned with anger against the man who had done such great and heinous and wicked things. He burned with anger and yet he was so hardened he couldn't see that it was him until it was revealed to him by Nathan. He are he is the man, right? The hypocrite like the Pharisees in the Gospels are very much like David, burning with anger against the sins of others with little concern, little thought for the sins of their own hearts. 
And so Jesus is here teaching that we ought to be more concerned with the sins of our own heart than the sins of others. That's not to say that we shouldn't have righteous anger against not only our own sin, but in the sin of others and evil. But here we see a good example of the hypocrite, one who's very strong feelings about the sins of others that is not matched in intensity of feelings against their own sins. It should be equal, or it should be even uh, more so, uh, more angered, more angered at the sins of yourself than those of others. And so in our judging, in our restoring gently, we must be examining our own hearts, considering ourselves, and be able to confess there, but for the grace of God go I. Right? We see the sins of others, the sins of other churches, It's only by God's grace that we have not fallen similarly. Or, having fallen similarly, God by His grace alone has turned us from our rebellion against Him. Praise God. If you have tasted the Lord's love of His grace and forgiveness, then you will be restrained in your judgment of others and you will be rather very focused on examining your own heart and turning from your own sins. Verse 5 confirms after seeking the Lord's mercy and grace concerning your own sin and turning from it unto the Lord in Christ that then we can with humility and mercy and grace then go to our brothers and sisters in Christ and restore them. Then we can come and judge, rebuke, but with mercy. Perhaps to yourself you have noticed this hypocritical spirit of burning with anger towards other sins, more so even than your own sins. Perhaps showing great mercy to yourself and your sin, and yet burning with great anger and wanting to judge others of their sin. And Jesus comes and says, Do not judge hypocritically without consideration, a greater consideration of your own heart and your own sin. But come humbly before Him. And a final point, a third point, judge with discernment. Judge with discernment. Verse 6, it says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Everything about judging, restoring, rebuking is not here found in Matthew 7. There's just a few things that Jesus has here. He teaches us throughout the Scriptures about how we ought to judge, how we ought to restore, how we ought to rebuke, how we ought to correct, how we ought to teach people. All these things. And here's just a part in Matthew 7. But we'll find that the Lord teaches us. He teaches us more throughout this Gospel. Matthew 23, when Jesus condemns the Pharisees and He calls them hypocrites. He's going to teach us more about this. We're going to watch Jesus Christ be the perfect judge over throughout the the Gospels. The perfect judge, the restorer of souls, the one who rebukes righteously with mercy, with mercy and humility and charity. You want to see... Uh, Jesus Christ perfect as judge with mercy and humility 
And in contrast to the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, you look at the adulterous woman in John 8. right? And you see them, they're ready to stone her. And there He is showing mercy uh, while still judging the sin because He would judge that sin in Himself on the cross. Right? And so, there are many examples here of Jesus restoring the souls of sinners as judge. We see an example here in verse 6 of how to judge. And we know, first off, even as we continue in the passage, verse 7 and, and so on, this verse, verse 6, has to do with evangelism. The whole world is where the gospel must be preached among the nations filled with unbelievers, filled with evil people. Men, women, children are to be urged to repent of their sins and turn to Jesus Christ for their life as you all are today. And in that, there is judgment. There is judgment in the proclamation of the gospel and evangelism. We're confronting sinners with their sin. Not all as... And we know we'll receive humbly the free offer of the gospel of salvation that's found in Christ alone. But there will be many who obviously and stubbornly reject the gospel. They will trample the message of the gospel like pigs trampling pearls. And they don't even care about those pearls, right? These are the types of responses that we need to be sensitive to when we're proclaiming the gospel. We need to be sensitive to in order to have discernment. Those types of responses to the gospel are indication, Jesus says, for you to judge. To judge that it's time to move on with the gospel to others and proclaim the gospel elsewhere. We have an example, Matthew 10, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. There are examples of this also in the book of Acts. There's other places as well that the apostles were going from town to town uh, proclaiming the gospel. And when the gospel was rejected, and they were rejected, they didn't stay in the town and continue to press on with them hoping uh, that people would believe. No, they moved on to the next town. Jesus Himself, John 2, did not commit Himself to all people. Jesus did not commit Himself to all people. Even those who believed in His miracles and yet did not believe in faith, by faith, in Him for salvation. They believed the miracles but not in Him. He did not commit Himself to them. It says, Now when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in His name when they saw the miracles which He did. But Jesus did not commit Himself unto them, because He knew all men. He knew their hearts. And needed not that any should testify of man, for He knew that what was in man. So spiritual discernment is needed, friends. We learn, need to learn some more than others. If there are those who are so obstinate continuously blaspheming the gospel, persecuting those who proclaim the gospel, then cease giving that which is holy, the gospel, to the dogs. 
And so we need to understand the plan of the Lord is that there will be many who will reject the Gospel. The message that we carry, it will be rejected by many, not all, but many. Many will believe it. Praise God. But there are certain ones whom Jesus will commit to, they will believe on Him. Now that you have been warned about those who reject the Gospel, now you are armed, in a sense, more armed, to go forth and proclaim the Gospel with a heart upheld by the Spirit of Christ, even to face rejection, knowing that all and any rejections of the message you carry is a rejection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying here, judge with discernment, because it is foolish to continue to offer Christ to people, even if they reject the message so ardently. Where the gospel is received, men and women and children are cut to the heart and asked what, what they must do to be saved. And it was the Christians who patiently explained the gospel and called sinners to believe and repent. But if the message is rejected, or was rejected, they went on their way. And you might ask, why? Why must we have this discernment to judge? Why must we not give that which is holy to dogs or cast pearls before swine? Jesus says, is saying here, because it's unrighteous to do that. It's unholy. If you do that, Jesus says, you haven't grasped the value of the pearls. You haven't grasped the value of what that which is holy, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is so precious to be continually trampled upon is not acceptable. And so we must move on and proclaim it elsewhere where it will be hopefully Lord willing received. That's a very specific application. But more general application is that our zeal against sin must be guided by discernment. Our zeal against sin must be guided with discernment. How important it is today, sadly, even in the church, we must give instructions and counsels and rebukes to hardened scorners to whom it will certainly do no good, but who will be exasperated and enraged at us in the church. And they'll cry out, Judge not! Right? Because they're being rebuked of their sin. Even from you, hopefully He's doing it in a gentle, merciful way, longing for them to be restored because you are trying to bear their burdens for the sake of Christ. But if you keep casting God's grace before them, and rebuke before such a one, it is like casting it unto swine and casting that which is holy unto dogs, sadly. And they'll resent it if you keep going. And they will be more likely to cast a stone at you and call the rebukes attacks, of which, Lord willing, they are not. Luke 11, it says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are as graves which appear not, and the men that walk over them are not aware of them. Then answered one of the lawyers and said unto him, Master, thus saying thou reproachest us also. He's upset that he was being rebuked. Don't give them that which is holy any more than. 
Good counsel, righteous, unhypocritical rebukes are holy ordinances of God, precious. Listen to what Proverbs 25, we just read it, clearly says, I think it's verse 13, as an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. That's what we long for. And how merciful our God is in Christ Jesus here, who is very tender in mercy and care for His people, that He does not desire to you to needlessly expose yourself to the fury of those who would turn again and tear you up. He instructs us here in keeping the Sixth Commandment and encouraging you to self-preservation for precious is the blood of all His people. But it's only precious because of the blood of Christ shed for you that makes your blood precious and priceless. And so, friends, you are to turn today to the King, to the Lord, the Judge, Jesus Christ. You are to follow after Him, friends, as He directs us here in chapter 7, to judge not harshly nor hypocritically, but with discernment, and as we can add in there, mercy and with love. This matter is difficult for all of us. It is very difficult. But we are to lean on Christ and His example and remembering above all the look unto Christ, considering our own hearts. Let's pray. Our Father, we do praise You. We're thankful for Your Word. We know that it challenges us so, and we're thankful that You so challenge us. We pray that You would grant us receptive hearts, uh, humble hearts, hearts that would long all the more to look at our own hearts, to see our sin and turn from them, than to look at our neighbor's hearts to see the sin there. We pray that we would come towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, even as we evangelize to unbelievers, that we would come with mercy and humility, not seeking our own gain, not seeking the hurt of anyone, but with love that they would be reclaimed and be made alive by Your Spirit. Unto salvation in Christ Jesus alone. These are the things we plead for and we pray that you would change our hearts and make us to be godly and holy in Christ Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen.